Scripture comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. So I'll give you a moment to get there. The Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 1 through 12. <clears throat> Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. Please be seated. Little ones are dismissed for junior church, so you guys can head on downstairs and worship God together. As we begin to look at God's word together, I'd just ask you to pray with me. Can you do that? That'd be great. Father, we pray for our children as they go and learn your word. We thank you that your word is simple enough that a child can understand. And yet it is deep enough and potent and powerful enough that it's going to take a lifetime for us to plumb the depths of the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I pray that you would help us have childlike hearts as we look at your word. And I pray that uh, you'd also uh, just humble us and let your spirit teach us. I pray that your, your spirit would convict us of places where we have been in rebellion against your kingdom. But I pray that your spirit would do the work that only he can do, and that is to encourage us with the immense promises that are ours in Jesus. So we wouldn't leave here hopeless. We would leave here filled with great confidence in our Lord Jesus, in the work that he has begun and will keep doing in us and through us. So thank you so much for this blessing of gathered worship and the blessing of, of hearing your word together. Help us to have glad, submissive hearts. Teach us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So this week, I was talking to my wife, Heidi, and I said, guess what? I get to preach on Matthew 5, 5, part of the Beatitudes. I get to preach on, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And she says, you're preaching on that? (laughs) And I said, "Uh, you don't think I'm a very meek person? She just laughed. (laughs) And I laughed too, because, you know, I've been called a few things over the years, but meek probably has not been one of them. And uh, what about you? When was the last time someone accused you of being meek? And if they did, would you take that as a compliment? I think in our our day and age, our culture, um, meek is not a very complimentary word, is it? Um, Usually I think when we think of meek, meekness, we think of weakness, don't we? Persons, they're kind of meek. We think weak, don't we, oftentimes? And uh, I went to thesaurus.com and uh, just checked out some other words. And here are some... uh, Words that kind of capture probably what you think of when you hear the word meek. Tell me if I'm wrong, though. Uh, mild, milk toast, modest, soft, spineless, submissive, tame, timid, tolerant, weak, weak, need, and wishy-washy. That kind of capture the idea of being meek, <laughs> at least the kind of the popular version. I think it does. Uh, sometimes we think. Uh, that meekness is kind of a temperament. You're either meek or you're not, right? There are just some people who are quiet and maybe kind of wishy-washy, kind of spineless, right? Hmm. And we think that maybe that's what Jesus is talking about when he says, blessed are the meek, because they've had it so rough in this life, maybe in the next life they'll have it okay. You know, they're going to inherit the earth. But is that what Jesus really meant when he said, blessed are the meek? Is he saying, blessed are those with a quiet, submissive temperament? As we look at God's word today, we're going to say, no, that's not what Jesus meant at all. He's talking about something far greater. When Jesus talks about meekness, he's not talking about temperament. He's talking about kingdom. This is a kingdom word. This is a discipleship word. Meekness isn't about weakness. Meekness is about Jesusness, And that's what we're going to see today. We're going to see that meek people are Jesus-y people. We're going to see that meek people are a blessed people. When Jesus says these words in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, I hope you're there and you stay there. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. It's the first gospel. It's the first book that that tells us the good news about who Jesus is and what he's done. And in chapter 5, verse 5, we're we're getting our knees deep into the Beatitudes, the opening section on the Sermon on the Mount. And here, we get to sit at the feet of Jesus as though he were teaching us, just like he was teaching those first disciples. And we get to learn what it looks like to repent and believe the gospel, the good news that Jesus is king. 
And in these Beatitudes, he starts telling us what that heart of repentance actually looks like. He gets to, he's teaching us what it looks like to be his disciples and what it looks like to live with Jesus as our king. Already we saw uh, in the last two weeks that there were two blessings. The first is that Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who admit that they are spiritually poor. They are bankrupt. And so they come to Jesus with empty hands and empty pockets and say, I ain't got nothing. I ain't got a thing, Jesus. I need you. And in light of that, Jesus also said, blessed are those who mourn. And we saw that, that what Jesus was getting at was mourning over their sin, mourning over their own brokenness and rebellion towards God and selfishness towards, towards others. And so we mourn over the destructiveness of our own sin. And yet Jesus says, these sorts of people, these followers of mine who are learning to be poor in spirit, who are learning to mourn over their sin, they are blessed. The world might look at us and say, oh, what a bunch of losers. But Jesus says, no, these are the blessed ones. And today, we're going to look at blessed are the meek. We want to grapple with those two truths, that meek people are Jesus-y people, and meek people are blessed people. So let's take a look at that first part, that, that meek people are a Jesus-y people. I don't know if you automatically think of Jesus when you think about meekness, but you should. There are only two people in the Bible that are described as being meek. Jesus is one, and we're going to spend the most of our time looking at him, but do you remember who else? And blank, insert the name, was the meekest or humblest man on the earth. Yeah, Moses. And so you go back to Numbers, and you see Moses, the leader and rescuer of God's people. And compared to all the other leaders in Israel and in the world, Moses showed the greatest humility and the greatest meekness. Well, most of us say, well, Moses wrote that book, didn't he? What's he doing telling people that he's humble? Isn't that proof positive that he's not? I don't know if Moses himself wrote that or if that was uh, an editor afterwards. I do believe that, that God put it there for us to see that what is said of Moses is true. And actually, I have no problem with Moses saying it because it's in context that even though he was an imperfect leader, he represented what God hoped and planned for his people to be like. Moses wasn't a weak guy, was he? He may have been fearful at times, but he stood against Pharaoh, the king of the world, and said, what? Let my people go. <laughs> right? He did. He said that. And he faced incredible odds, but he did that all. He led God's people and rescued them in God's strength. Moses gives us a beginning picture that meekness isn't about weakness. It's about power and strength under control. Under the control and will and plan of God. But Moses was not a perfect rescuer. He lashed out at God and his people. And he was even judged by God 
because of that arrogance, that unmeekness, he was judged by God and not even allowed into the promised land. Moses told Israel that there would come a day when there would be a true prophet, the true prophet, the true rescuer of God's people. Jesus is the new Moses. He's the true and better Moses who never lashed out at God's people. He never grew angry and destructive towards God's people. Instead, as we, would, we will see and see in all of Scripture, Jesus would actually take the punishment of God's people on himself. And so I, I want to encourage you, flip over to Matthew chapter 11. When we talk about meekness, we've got to talk about Jesus. If you want to learn to be meek, you've got to learn to be like Jesus. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, we see this incredible truth about Jesus that I think is going to give us hope and encouragement as we ask God to make us a meek people. Okay. Uh, let's read them. Uh, Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What amazing words. This is probably one of the most hope-giving, burden-lifting passages in all of Scripture, in all of the universe, I think. Don't you? I love this passage. When I, when I knew that I was going to be preaching on this passage, I was like, oh, yes, and oh, no, all at the same time. Because I knew I'd get to linger in this truth about Jesus and Him being our meek Savior and what that means for our souls and the comfort of our souls. We'll get into the rest part in a little bit, but I want you to take a look again where he says, Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. The word gentle is the same word that he uses in Matthew 5, 5 for meek. So you could say, uh, learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Or uh, another way to translate the word meek or gentle is, is gentle spirited. Jesus is saying, learn from me. Come to me. I've got something to teach you because I am meek. Because I am lowly in heart, you can come to me. You don't have to fear. Jesus doesn't say, get away from me, people. (laughs) I think sometimes we think God is like that. But God is so much more gracious and loving than we could ever imagine. And in Jesus, we hear those words, come to me. And the word learn is where we get the word disciple. So Jesus is saying, come, be discipled by me. I will disciple you. You will be my apprentices. You will be my Padawan. Yes. Be my apprentice and learn from me. And if Jesus is meek and and lowly in heart, then guess what? He's going to teach you and me how to be gentle, how to be meek, how to be gentle in spirit. 
So if we're going to learn to be meek, we've got to learn to be like Jesus. We've got to learn to be discipled by Jesus to be like Jesus. You get that? Discipleship really simply is learning from Jesus to be like Jesus. Does that make sense? That's it. I mean, you've got it. If you've got that, you're done. Well, no, you've just started. We've just started. Jesus wants to make his followers to be like him. In fact, that's God the Father's plan. You know that verse in Romans 8, 28, that God is working all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose? Well, he's working all things for good, but do you know what that good is? It's Romans 8, 28, and 20, uh, 29, and 30. Being conformed into the image of Jesus. That's the good that he's talking about. It's not that everything's going to be sunshine, roses, and butterflies. It's that God is actively at work to make a people who resemble the image of Jesus, who live and love like Jesus. And you know what? That includes being meek. So how did Jesus show meekness? Uh, you could trace through the Gospels, and that would be a great way to just look at the life of Jesus. Uh, I want to take you to a first-hand testimony from Peter. Uh, Peter was one of Jesus' disciples, and he got to see Jesus every day for several years. And not even just those years, but at the pinnacle moment of Jesus' life when he showed just how meek he was, the day that he was crucified, the day that the Creator was crucified by his creation, the day when he showed like no one else who had ever lived complete and utter trust and dependence on his Father and said, not my will but yours be done. That's ultimate meekness. He didn't claim his rights. He didn't push and shove to get his way. He trusted his Father. And so look with me. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2, and we're going to look at verses 21 to 25. Peter got to see Jesus firsthand, and he shares with us this truth. 1 Peter 2, 21 to 25. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered you for you, leaving an example so that you might follow in his steps. We have been called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. That's what Peter's saying. Here are his footsteps. He, Jesus, committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls."
Do we dare follow in Jesus' steps? Asking WWJD, what would Jesus do, is a dangerous question, isn't it? Do you really want to sign up for that? Do I? Do I want to sign up for saying, when I'm wronged, I'm going to be like Jesus? Even though I'm innocent and people lash out against me and falsely accuse me, do I really want to be like Jesus and not try to defend myself? Jesus was a million, billion, zillion percent innocent. And what did he do? He suffered gracefully. He suffered gracefully. He didn't try to wiggle his way out of the cross, did he? He didn't talk smack back to Caiaphas and Pilate and his accusers. He didn't threaten. He didn't scream and holler. <laughs> he didn't yell and, 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 and try to just get him out of his way and run out of the building. He didn't say, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? Don't you think you would have? Boy, I sure would have. Peter talks a lot about what Jesus didn't do. And he only mentions one thing that Jesus did do. And that's the key. That's the key for us this morning to know how to be meek. How to be a meek people. You know what meek people do? It's not just what they don't do. You see, it, this is the most important thing. Sure, some people might be afraid to speak up in the midst of conflict, in the midst of false accusations, in the midst of suffering. Some of us would be. But what Jesus does is far more important and actually the ground and purpose for why he didn't do those things. Do you, do you see what he did? It's the same thing we need. Look at verse uh, 23, halfway through verse 23. What did Jesus do? Someone read it out. Jesus trusted his dad. He trusted his father. He trusted God, the Father. That's the difference. Meek people are Jesus-y people because like Jesus, they trust the Father even when their whole world around them is crashing down and they feel the need to defend themselves and to defend their rights and speak up for themselves, they let God do it instead. They trust the Father. Jesus humbly submitted to the torture and execution and the shame and the very wrath of God on the cross. Willingly. How, how does that happen? He's the God-man. He was tempted in every way like we are. And yet he trusted the Father. He did not sin. He could have so easily said, enough is enough. Click his finger, wiggle his nose, whatever. And call zillions of angels to come and rescue him and annihilate everyone who just looked at him the wrong way. And what's he do? He hangs there until he says, 
It is finished. Why didn't he speak up? Why didn't he walk off the cross? Was it because he was powerless? Was it because he was weak? Was it because he was shy? He submitted his will to the Father's will. And he trusted that the Father would do what is good and right and perfect. That's faith. That's humility. That is meekness. He laid his power aside for our salvation. Jesus, the sinless God-man, let sinners wag their finger in his face and trash his holy name. The unrivaled king of the universe was beaten by some puny Roman soldiers. And they mocked him. They spit on him. Pretending it was oil. Like they would a king. And they put a fake robe around him. And they pressed thorns on his head and dug into his skull and gave him his supposed crown. They even bowed down, mocking honor. The eternal creator spread his his hands and laid his feet on a block of wood and let some metal spikes be driven through his hands and his feet. Hammer blow by hammer blow. Jesus, the very eternal Son of God, willingly suffered in our place and was truly rejected and abandoned by his Father so that we could be adopted. So that we, enemies, rebels, could be adopted into God's family and sat right, seated right at the table of God. Who writes this stuff? You couldn't conjure this stuff up. This is the story in which our lives are found in. That there is a true creator God who is the redeeming God. And he has come to rescue us in and through Jesus Christ. We have to praise him. We have to behold him, don't we? We can't just think these things. We've got to let them sink into our hearts and be moved by Jesus' meekness for our salvation. I encourage you to to look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 is very similar to what what Peter is getting at here. And I, I just encourage you to worship our Lord Jesus by looking at some point, not necessarily now, um, at how Jesus laid aside every right that he had as God so that he could be the God-man who would rescue us. So if that's what Jesus is like, that's how Jesus shows meekness. Now are you ready? (laughs) Now are you ready to come to Jesus and say, teach me how to be meek? Well, here are a few questions to ask. How do you feel 
when you are falsely accused? How do you feel? Angry? Rageful? <laughs> Resentful? What about when people talk down to you? Or maybe they just commit some face crime? Yeah, I know, sorry. I do that a lot. How do you feel? Do you fight fire with fire? What happens when people let you down? World War III? Cold shoulder? What happens when God lets you down? Or we feel that God has let us down. Where do we go? Do we slowly but surely take back self-rule over our life because God just can't lead us? He's just not doing a good enough job, so we take God off the throne, we put ourselves back on, and we try to live and rule life on our own, and we try to determine right and wrong and good and evil on our own. That hasn't worked out very good since Adam and Eve, has it? And it doesn't work out very good for us. Let me, let me just say this. If Jesus was just our example, we're in a lot of trouble. Jesus, as our example, is a burden that crushes us. Do not ask only, what would Jesus do? It's a horrible question if you only ask that question. And it will send us to hell. You might be a good person. Asking that question might change the way you look and live outwardly. But if it wasn't for what Jesus has done, Asking what would Jesus do is pointless. What has Jesus done? What Jesus has done is he has saved us. 1 Peter 2, 24-25, look at it again. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus isn't just our example. He is our Savior. Amen? Yes! And that means that we can safely ask, Jesus, teach me what you would do. Show me what you would do. Because I know that even when I mess up, you're my Savior and I can keep moving forward. Because Jesus is our Savior, we're not just a Jesus-y people, people who are called to be like Jesus. We are a people who are continually saved by Jesus. And so, point one was that Jesus, or sorry, meekness is about Jesusness, right? A meek people are a Jesus-y people. He's our example. But also, meek people are a blessed people. He's our Savior. We see that in 1 Peter 2, but I want to I wanna bring you back to Matthew's Gospel. Take a look at verse, uh, chapter 11 again. <clears throat> and we'll combine what Jesus said in Matthew 11, and then 
when we wrap up in a little bit, we'll, we'll look back at what Jesus said in chapter 5. We see in Matthew 11 this, this great promise that Jesus doesn't just tell us to, to learn from him, but he's actually going to give us something. He actually promises a blessing. He, he promises to bless us with soul rest, with rest for our souls. As we are learning from Jesus, as we are learning to live and love like Jesus, from Jesus, he promises that this is going to be easy, people. Right? It's going to be easy to follow Jesus. Sort of. It depends on what you compare it to. And that's really the point of, of Matthew eleven, twenty-eight to 30. So let's read it again and, and try to understand what Jesus is teaching us. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Meek people are a blessed people because Jesus promises a blessing. He promises rest for our souls. Anyone interested in that? There's a sign-up sheet somewhere. It should be going around. No, not really. Don't you want that? Doesn't that sound awesome? Rest for your souls. How many of you are freaked out and stressed out about life at least a couple times a minute? <laughs> yeah, I mean, isn't that that's how we live a lot of times, isn't it? We're like, this is hard. We all wanted to grow up. Why? Why did we ever want to do that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and some of you teenagers who are now almost adults or getting there, why did you, did, why did you rush this thing, huh? And when we signed up to follow Jesus, we were like, yes, my life is going to be easier and better. Well, if you haven't found out yet, following Jesus really messes with your life. It really turns everything upside down. And in fact, complicates things in ways that we could have never imagined. But, in the midst of all that, Jesus is promising rest. So there is something that should be easier if we're following Jesus. If we're following Jesus, Jesus' way. That's the difference. So what is Jesus talking about when he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light? Well, we kind of think of yoke as being like that, that wooden thing that oxen wear, right? That nice little work collar that they have. And, uh, well, that's, that's sort of the image, but not really the image that Jesus is talking about. He's actually talking about a Jewish expression uh, of his day. Uh, in Jesus' day, rabbis or Jewish teachers would often talk about their yoke, uh, meaning their interpretation of God's law. So they talked about the yoke of the law. So you'd go to so-and-so rabbi, and the, you'd, when you'd hear about his teaching, you'd actually hear about the yoke of the law. It was an expression that they used. And Jesus is saying, my yoke compared to the Pharisees is easy. My burden is light. Compared to what they're offering, easy. Uh, Scott Haifman uh, kind of helps us out. Let me read a quote from him as he helps us understand this text. He says, the yoke 
in this text is Jesus' own interpretation of the law's intention and significance in contrast to the interpretation of the law of the Pharisees. The burden, too heavy to carry, is not simply emotional distress or personal problems, but trying to keep the law without the Spirit. In contrast, Jesus' demands, though more difficult than the Pharisees' interpretation of the law, are nevertheless a yoke that is easy to bear and a burden that is light to carry because of the coming of the kingdom in the inauguration of the new covenant. I know you might have to do a little bit of thinking during that quote, but what he says is immensely helpful and totally practical. The Pharisees were trying to keep people keeping the law and observing all these external rules by the flesh. Here, try to be a holy people. Just try harder, work harder, and see if you can do it. And Jesus is saying, you can't do it, but the standard's the same. In fact, it's, it's, it's tougher than what the Pharisees are saying. You've heard it said, Jesus said, don't commit adultery. That's what the Pharisees were saying. But Jesus says, you know what? The law was really about the heart, so... Don't be happy that you just didn't have an affair. Be happy when you're killing lust. Jesus says, the Pharisees teach you not to murder. Good. Don't murder. If you're thinking about it, stop it. But that's not the goal. The goal of the law is don't even hate your brother. Don't say those words. Don't even think those words. Don't hate him in your heart. Who can do that? Who can live up to that standard that Jesus puts forth? And yet he's saying it's, it's a, an easy burden or a light burden. When Jesus said, repent and believe the good news, the gospel, he was saying, believe in the incredible good news that I am king and what I command you to do, I'm going to provide everything you need to do it. Jesus often will say things in the gospel that seem completely ridiculous and humanly impossible. Do you know why? Because he knows of the supernatural provision that comes to us in the gospel. Already as he's sharing this and saying that his burden is light and his yoke is easy, he's looking forward to the day, the days after the cross, when, he raised, when God raised him from the dead and then he gave his Holy Spirit to all his people so that we could have divine power to follow in his footsteps. Do not try this at home, people without the power of the Spirit, that is. Don't, don't dare try to follow Jesus your own way. I have been hit hard the last few weeks with this because I freak out about things. I get stressed out. Sometimes it's about really good things. A lot of times it's about caring for you. 
I love you guys. But there are days that that burden is atrocious. And it's not because of you. It's because I'm trying to do it my way instead of Jesus' way. And that, that's hellish, isn't it? It really is. Now, I think you can relate to that, can't you? Have you ever found when you're trying to follow Jesus and you, it's just too much? It's just, it feels too much. Maybe you're really trying to raise your kids to love Jesus, but you're at your wit's end. Whether they're in diapers or in college, or out of college and back home. You know what Jesus says? Come to me. Come to me. I'll give you rest. Maybe some of us have been hanging out at the cliffs of insanity. Yeah? You been there? Maybe because of your job. Maybe because of the lack of a job. You know what Jesus says? Come to me. Come. Maybe you've been dumbfounded by the betrayal of a friend, family member, spouse. And Jesus says, come to me. Maybe you feel like you're drowning in financial debt (laughs) or depression or anger or sickness or addiction or unforgiveness or self-righteousness. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest for your souls. What I've asked and commanded you to do in all of these circumstances is still the same. I'm not going to evacuate you out of the trials and temptations of life. Jesus has not promised that. The rest that he's talking about is obeying God, following Jesus, God's way, instead of our own way. That's powerful, and that's good news. Meek people go to Jesus. <laughs> Meek people go to Jesus and find rest. They, they go to Jesus and find rest for their souls in the midst of all of the junk of life. And that is such good news, isn't it? Being meek is basically throwing your hands up in the air finally and saying, God, I can't do this. I cannot do this anymore on my own. I need you, I need you, I need you. (laughs) Help me. That's hard to say, isn't it? Help me. I admit that I'm not God. (laughs) It's okay to resign from from your God job description. You're not. You never will be. That's good news. But thank the Lord for that. And so, Jesus promises us rest for our souls. (laughs) 
true rest in the midst of whatever he's called you to live out right now. He will give you rest in the midst of it if you trust him to give you the power to be and do what God wants you to do. But you know what? Not only do we get that promise of soul rest now, we're also promised something even more incredible and more lasting. Go back to Matthew 5, 5. Because there we have the full promise. Blessed are the meek. Why? Why are the, why are the meek people blessed? Jesus tells us why. For they shall inherit the earth. The earth. They shall inherit the earth. Wow. I don't know what you have inherited or will inherit someday, but I'm pretty sure that none of us have in our mom and dad's will the earth. Right? Pretty sure. The earth. It's ours. What Jesus has in mind, though, is not necessarily the earth as we know it, but rather the new creation. The last of the four pictures here on this side show the ending of God's story. It began with creation, has been wrapped up in the fall, the curse of sin. Jesus came to bring redemption, and one day that redemption will be completed, and we will know it. We will know him, and we will be loved by God forever, and we will love each other forever in the new creation. Jesus has in mind here, he's actually quoting from Psalm 37, verse 11. And actually verse 10 and 11 talk about how God's people will inherit the land. They will inherit the earth. But when Jesus talks about this, he's not just talking about the land of Israel. He's talking about the whole earth. He's talking about the new creation, a world where the curse has truly been reversed. But the thing that, as, as we wrap things up, in, in Psalm 37, G, uh, Jesus is quoting there, and the psalm is a beautiful song. And the song reminds us that there are, there are only two kinds of people in the world, the wicked and the meek. Huh. I guess we better learn how to be meek. And the Psalm 37 actually teaches us that we don't need to fret, we don't need to worry about our own rights and getting our own way, God will protect us. God will bless us. He has promised and He is faithful. So just like Israel, when they were tempted to try to fend for themselves, to try to make their land secure, we're tempted that way too, aren't we? We're tempted to try to find security and, and, and peace our own way. That's why we get all pushy and grumpy and defensive. Because we, we, we are tempted to believe that God's not looking out for us. But He is. You know, sometimes it feels like following Jesus is a liability. If we're honest, doesn't it? Because it, we're not inheriting the earth right now. It doesn't feel that way. It doesn't look that way. We look around and it seems like the pushy and the loud mouth and the boasters and the overbearing and the greedy and the vengeful are the ones getting ahead. 
doesn't it? It seems like they're the ones who are inheriting the earth right now. And who knows about tomorrow? But when Jesus says, come, follow me, he's not just talking about some spiritual, esoteric experience of rest. He's talking about a true, real, bona fide, feet on the ground, rest in the new creation. We follow Jesus into the new creation. Following Jesus is all about living under God's rule with God's people in God's place. And God has promised a kingdom that will never fail, that will never end. And it's coming. It's guaranteed. Oh, how we need hope. We need hope, not just for our lives now, but even after death or when Jesus comes back. There is more to this life than, than this. We will live forever in God's presence or not. The new creation is dawned and is coming. If you experience just a sliver of rest as you follow Jesus, you're getting a taste of the new creation that is coming. And God's word paints a wonderful picture of what that new creation will look like. We'll end here. Turn with me to Isaiah 25. Isaiah 25 is uh, the promise, the prophecy in the Old Testament that talks about the day of celebration in the new creation when sin is gone and we finally get to see God face to face. And there is going to be a party like no other party ever. And it's going to be good. It's going to be awesome. Isaiah 25, 6-9. And on this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all the peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. He will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all the faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Amen? This is Jesus' promise to us in his word. Meek people are, yes, a Jesus-y people. But they are a blessed people. And this is what that blessing will one day absolutely guaranteed look like. In the meantime, let us learn to live and love like Jesus. Let us trust God. Let us trust the Father's will for us no matter what. Let us lay aside our rights for his will 
And let us look forward to the blessing of the new creation. Jesus promised this. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And all God's meek people said...